0: There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm super excited for our guest today. Uh, I feel grateful and uh, and I'm just looking forward to, to what's in store here uh, to have him on. He, this guy has been involved in online startups since 1997. 1997. That's far before I even really had any cognizance of this space, starting as a database architect. And so He's got this technical background, but he turned to a growth marketer roughly like 2003, 2004, height of the dot-com, boom. He was recruited by shop.com and he grew basically to be their head of marketing managing over 20 million bucks a year in 2004. Did that for several years, eventually broke out to do his own thing as a consultant. And that mixture of just like technical background with also just super deep expertise and savviness uh, in marketing, and particular, like in SEO, SEM. Nearly a dozen patents under his belt and, and uh, pending, many patents pending. Just an absolute sensei in the, in the realm of SEM, SEO, literally two decades of experience there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the founder and CEO of Revim.com, Mr. Matt LeBaron. Welcome to the show, Matt.
1: Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I'm just super excited as well. Uh, you're making me feel old with uh, with all that uh, that history, but no, it's true. Been doing this uh, a long time. Uh, approached marketing from a technical perspective. Uh, you know, as you said, lots of patents uh, pending and granted. And I'm super excited to share with with you and, and your listeners uh, some of the insights that I've managed to gain over that time and uh, things that I don't see happening. Uh, certainly, in other areas that that really they should be. So, I think we'll be able to offer some 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 tips and insights for folks that are uh, maybe have a similar experience to my own uh, in in terms of sharing what's going on out
0: there, what works. Well, let's start with your one big secret because you know better than anybody. Knowledge is power. Knowing just one or two really interesting things can totally blow the doors off of things. So share with us one, I know you can't share everything, share one of your biggest and best secrets with us. And let's talk about that to start.
1: Sure. Yeah. It's probably the the biggest uh, insider secret that I've come across uh, in the last couple of years is that people are spending way, way, way too much on brand. And there's a solution for that. I think we've known for 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 literally decades, since I've been doing this back in 2003, that we need to be visible as search marketers on our brand. We need to control that brand message. We want to make sure those pesky competitors don't sneak in there and steal the customers that we've already spent so much time and effort um, making aware of our our brand. And yet, at the same time, um, you know, Google makes us pay for that. At least that's what it feels like. I've heard it referred to as the Google tax, right? Yeah. Where, uh, Where you've spent all that time and energy and money um, building a brand, and people are typing into Google, and then they got to pay again in order to, uh, uh, you know, to actually visit your website um, because you don't want those competitors to sneak in there. But there's uh, there's new technology, there's solutions out there for that conundrum, and, um, and that's what I've been involved with in the last couple of years. I'm, I'm super excited about it. it's making a big difference for the, the companies that are looking at this.
0: So why is this the case? Do you feel like like why is it that companies are spending so much to protect their own brands.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of, 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 of protecting brands when they need to be protected, because if you don't, you will have someone come in and eat your lunch. So to be clear, I'm not criticizing anyone who's, who's uh, bidding on brand. You need to, in order to protect it. Um, the, the challenge is that you don't need to protect it all the time. And people are just throwing money that they don't need to, to spend in order to protect something that is already uh, safe for them. And, uh, but, it, but why are people doing that? Because they want to make sure that we don't know when a competitor is going to sneak in there. Right. Um, we don't know if that competitor is going to suddenly start up ads and take our business and cause us to miss our numbers. And we can't risk that. Right. That's the, I think the common thought is that we can't risk it. And, uh, I'm a fan of that. Actually. I, I, I agree with people that are not aware of what is currently available with modern technology. I think it does make sense to, uh, uh, to bid on your brand and to protect it strongly and to spend that money. Um, but then again, we do have this new technology, which allows us to uh, to be smarter, more agile, more intelligent about it. So people are doing the best they can with what they know, um, but they're, people don't know about what, what's uh, what's happening up there now. So
0: Well, it's almost like, so it's the Google tax, right? It's almost in yeah. a way like Google did this on purpose because you... As far as I know, or last I checked, you're not allowed to actually use your competitors' trademarks and the names in the ad copy, but you can bid on whatever you want. Absolutely. How did it become this way? Like, is this, do you think just a Google design thing or?
1: I think it's part of the auction environment, right? Um, Google creates incredible flexibility for all of us, right? And we all benefit from that flexibility, but we also pay the price. So anyone can bid on anything. And if you think there might be some value for you to bid on a competitor's brand, then you're going to do that, right? Um, Those are often times referred to as conquest campaigns and, and, you know, companies out there are conquesting each other's brands. And whenever that happens, you absolutely need to have your own ads running uh, to block those those would-be conquesters. Um, Google does give us some, some benefits here. I don't want to just beat up on Google. Like, for example, most of us see a pretty low cost per click on our own branded search right? We have a high quality score because of the, how the quality score algorithms uh, uh, work. We have a, a, a low CPC. And so, uh, if, if companies do want to conquest each other's brands, they typically are paying a premium to do so. Um, and so, that's why oftentimes that conquest campaign only runs for part of the day or it doesn't, it, it's, you know, it's, it's fairly rare. There are some industries out there where, you know, you always have three competitors, you know, up there next to your own ad 24 hours a day but uh, but we've now, um, you know, worked with lots and lots and lots of companies that have, they're spending billions of dollars uh, a year in Google. And, and we have lots and lots of data as a result to kind of identify when does it make sense for that branded search uh, to be running and when can you safely take it down, save those dollars and push that budget into growth? Because that's what everybody wants, right? Nobody, nobody cares about saving money. To be clear, I'm not here saying, hey, let's all spend less money because as far as I can tell. Um, Every single dollar that is saved where you, where you get more efficient from, from plays like this, where you take your ads down when you don't need them to be running, gets pushed into opportunities for growth. Yeah. And that's the, the big secret I get. I think that I'm you know, in the center of being involved in right now is uh, seeing companies drive double-digit growth within a month across all of search as a result of employing technology that allows them to be hyper-efficient in how they spend their brand money.
0: So, the big secret is like we're overpaying for brand. We need to protect, we need to own, you know, we need to protect this house, but we're overpaying. The reasons are because it's an open auction environment and your competitors are feisty and they want your, they want to eat your lunch, right? Absolutely. And that's how an open market works. Uh, What do we do about it? What's the, like, if I'm, say, I'm the head of, Paid media for IKEA or whatever the big brand you know. Insert your big brand here. What do I do?
1: So there's been things we've been doing. So just to kind of reflect on what people have done in the past, um, brand sensitivity tests or brand incrementality tests are sometimes referred to. Um, I hear these happen, you know, every couple of years at at big brands where some executive comes in and says, you know, show, shows their their paid search guy, how come I've got an ad that's you know, pushing down our own number one SEO listing. There's no competitors here. How is that spend, you know, being, helping us at all? And that typically triggers the brand sensitivity test and the paid search guys go, okay, well, we'll take it down on these certain keywords for this time and we'll see what the impact is. And so um, to understand the impact of branded spend, that's really what the goal is of that. And um, most of the time, those tests show that there's value in branded spend right? That they should be spending because once those ads come down, those competitors sneak in there and, uh, you know, start take, you know, take those clicks, start to eat your lunch. And you're like, Oh, I don't have as much lunch. So, um, so that's been the solution. Um, I've been, uh, involved in, uh, so my, my company Revum has, uh, brought to market a new way of solving the problem, a technology called ad AI, which automatically detects these what we call cannibalistic ads, these ads that are pushing down your own number one SEO listing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in real time, suppresses your own ad, basically turns it off so that that number one SEO listing can bubble to the top and you take the click for free. And it then monitors the ad space. So, as soon as a competitor ad appears, we raise your ad to block them. So, it is now possible to get the best of both worlds where you're able to defend a hundred percent, defend your brand from competitors, whenever those competitors are, are coming after you, but then when they're off and, and there's all sorts of reasons why they might be for you to no longer have to pay that Google tax and instead shift that money into areas that drive incremental growth rather than cannibalizing what your SEO team is going to get. You can actually contribute on top of that and make your boss a, a huge winner and yourself in the same, uh, in the same way.
0: Yep. So branding, uh, incrementality test or, um, what you call it? Pressure test or stress test?
1: Could be. Yeah. I've heard it called uh, right. brand sensitivity or sensitivity. brand incrementality. Those are uh, two phrases I've heard.
0: Uh, so that's one thing. And then the Revim product brand AI, I'm familiar with it. Of course, yes. I know it. Uh, I can honestly vouch for it in that it, you know, we don't normally do like a product pitch type of a thing, but I can honestly say like, if you're spending 50 grand a month, or even 10, even 10 or 20 or 30 grand a month or higher on your branded campaigns. And for large companies, they have a lot of types of branded searches, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of ground to cover. But I can on- honestly say that the Brand AI product uh, is pitch worthy at this point in the pod because it's pretty badass. It's like one of the few products that I've found recently that I can like really say, like, wow, this is a total no brainer. Because the fact is, what, what happens is that the conquesting attempts, your competitors, they're not running ads at all times. They're sometimes in the yeah. middle of the night. They're sometimes on a random Sunday that's a like they'll pause their ads or they'll run sure. out of budget. Uh, so that product is worth, worth checking out. And so if folks want to check it out, they could do a free, I think, a free trial, right?
1: Yeah, so we, we offer uh, what we call a, a risk-free 30-day trial where uh, people can try out the technology for 30 days, have full use of it, get the data so they can see what the impact of the technology is without any obligation to pay anything and then make a data-driven decision. And uh, it, the, the word we hear most frequently when we talk to people is no-brainer because <laughs> it's just it's like, why would you pay for something you can get for free? And that just then you know, empowers you. you. Basically, companies are using this to create a growth budget right? And, uh, it's all going to Google anyway. I have yet to to meet a CMO that says, Oh, Hey, you know what, Mr. CEO, I'm not going to spend this money this month here, have it back. No, such a marketer does not exist. I'm convinced Uh, I've yet, yet to meet them. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's the big, that's the big thing that we're seeing. And, uh, massive companies. We're talking about, you know, uh, the world's largest automotive dealership, the world's largest footwear and apparel brand, the world's largest uh, automotive companies, um, you know, finance, in financial institutions, all these kind of companies are now embracing this technology and really seeing value and driving double digit growth across all of search, across holistic search um, with this technology, just by reinvesting.
0: I believe it because I've seen it and full disclosure we're partners with uh, Revum, so we've been helping. We've been working with them for years at this point yeah. to to bring this uh, technology to market. It is a next level technology that I fully believe in. This it's not going to be a product pitch this whole rest of the time, but I feel like the product is so good it like deserves a spot at the beginning to be pitched. Yeah. Um, but Matt, you tell folks if they're interested in trialing Revum. So if you're if you're spending more than ten grand a month on Google ads to protect your brand or to amplify your brand, meaning that you're bidding on your own brand search terms, you definitely need to talk to Matt and or us. Cause we're, you know, yeah. bringing this to market in partnership, but what should they do? What's the easiest way? Revum.com. Just out the context yeah, one.
1: Absolutely go to Revum.com. There's a quick uh, requested demo. Um, you'll get somebody respond back to you usually in about 15 minutes. Um, and uh, they'll uh, they'll hook you up. So again, it's a risk free thirty uh, day trial, no obligation to pay anything. You get to get the data. You'll have some huge insights as well. Like here's the question that that I wasn't expecting people to to ask, but that they found really interesting. Like how much should you actually be spending to protect your brand from competitors? How much do you actually need to spend when competitors are present? Nobody knows that the answer to that question unless they've used this tech. Right. Yeah. You just kind of know, well, we, we spend this amount, but how much well, do you but actually There's need
0: also to? campaigns? Your competitors do campaigns that are random and unexpected.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So um and and the tech solves for that too. Yeah. Uh, so I would definitely recommend checking it out. Revum.com, just request a free demo. Matt, you are the type of person. So you you're tech you have a technical background, you're a growth marketer, you're an SEO SEM expert. But you're also amazing in terms of just like your phone, pre- like we've been on calls with many, you know, <laughs> clients together. Like your phone presence and your sales ability. Like I'm, I'm just continually impressed by you and by the by the products that you're that you're bringing out to market. And I know that you have new ones. We'll talk about those. But that concludes the product pitch portion.
1: <laughs> uh, I didn't know there um, was going to be a product pitch, but thank you. That's awesome.
0: So. But yeah, I mean you know we like to start out with with pure insights i think it is a a good and pure insight that you're paying too much for brand search like if you're spending 10 grand a month there's pockets of waste you're definitely paying too much and even in regards to non branded you know even in regards to non branded you're paying too much and there's like competitor conquesting so you've probably seen more competitor conquesting attempts than anybody so I'm interested to talk about like what a successful competitor con- like if we're sure. offense, what that looks like. Yeah. That's one of the many things that I would love to pick your brain about. Um, but talk to me about well, I'm curious. So you started out as a database admin, turned into a database architect, went to shop.com, uh, where you learned, I think, about SEO, SEM, and growth marketing broke out on your own to do your own things. You had SEO Catalyst, which is also, I think, a noteworthy product and I think a great value for anybody that's interested in SEO. Um, and then brand AI is your latest thing. But how did you arrive at that? How did you arrive at brand AI? Like, Did you see at shop.com somebody was, or they were spending way too much to protect brand? Or yeah. Like, how did you arrive at this particular... You know,
1: I mean, um, I think it's a common problem, right? I'm, I've, yeah. I've, now, I've now probably uh, pitched the product a few hundred times literally in the last couple of years as it's gone to market and heard all the time that, yeah, hey, this, is, this is a major problem in our industry, in our space that's been there since the inception. And, and uh, you know, people don't like to pay the Google tax, right? They, and there's a, a certain level of, I think people know that they shouldn't have to right? Um, there's this kind of instinctual almost, you know, why do I have to pay for this when it's literally my brand? I've earned this, you know, and especially from the, the, you know, the founders of these companies or whatever that, you know, take personal umbrage to the fact that they got to pay, for you know, a click on this company that they formed and, and uh, they built up. So, um, but I've always loved the intersection between human creativity And computers' scalability and precision and the things that computers do well. And so, if we could, I've always been fascinated by how those two parts could come together to make something that uh, is better than the sum of its parts, you know, a whole that's better than the sum of its parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not a fan of of, uh, computers replacing people. I don't think that's ever going to happen, at least not within my lifetime or, you know, for several generations at least. Um, But uh, because humans do certain things that computers just can't. We have experiences and insights and emotions and feelings, um, you know. So, so uh, I think computers can assist humans in being better at what we do, um, but but don't re- replace us. And that's that's why I like to find those instances where computers can do things really well at scale and precision that humans don't want to do. And like, I know you don't want to be sitting there looking at your- uh, Refreshing. <laughs> refreshing your <laughs> search searching your results page. You see, is there a competitor there yet? Click, you know- Clear um, my cookies or my cash. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is Incognito not- a NATO browser. Totally. Like no one would ever want to do that.
0: That's, that's dude, insane. We used um, to do it like that back in the day. Like, back in the was, day. <laughs> dude, back in the day, our keyword research process was silly. So we would, we would use the Google keyword tool right but even back in those days it would fail to deliver the long tail but then when they started displaying the search suggestions Mm. we were like oh shit so we literally would have two people one person like say your target keyword is like you know best grocery store or whatever they'd be like best grocery store space a and then the second person would write it down
1: what they would say
0: space B, b you know that's some, that's some old school keyword research right Super there. Super old school. That's crazy. Yeah, so like that's those why were you guys those are great. House days. Yeah. Um, but then they came out. Well, Uber Suggest came out. Mm-hmm. So Uber suggests you could just put the, the short phrase like grocery store, and it would just deliver to you all those things, and you could export it in CSV. But then, still, when you upload it to the Google Keyword Tool, most of it comes back as NA you know, not sufficient data, but it must be that if they're displaying as search suggestions, they have search volume data. Yeah. You it just maybe
1: any- not worth it. I think Google probably limits the data based on what's got enough search volume to be valuable to Google, right? They're in business to make money and uh, not just to, to satisfy your never-ending curiosity.
0: Um, well, so- I also remember when the Google search tool wouldn't provide Quantitative numbers, it would just provide a bar like low, medium, high. Yeah, and then one day they and then one day they replaced that with quantitative numbers, and I was like, Oh, like this is beautiful. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, do you remember that? I'm sure you do. It,
1: well, yeah, I mean, it we actually used to always have quantitative numbers, and then they dumbed it down with the bar, and everyone went, went, What? Uh, and then if you had a certain type of Google account, you had the quantitative numbers, but if you didn't spend enough money. You had just the bar and the, 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 the generic stuff. And so now it's kind of come full circle where they're delivering that uh, that quantitative at those absolute numbers. Uh, but uh, yeah, this, this industry has changed quite a bit in the in the 20 years. I, I remember before quality score, I, I'm actually, believe this or not, I'm actually the guy that wrote the, uh, the Wikipedia article on quality score back in really? 2000, whatever that was, six. You I want to link,
0: say. link building son of a gun. That was for link building purposes, I imagine.
1: No, it was purely to share the, uh, the insights with the people. And uh, yeah, no, but no, I literally built a Wikipedia article, the first one on uh, on quality score back in the day.
0: That is um, awesome. Yeah. So um, I want to understand a little bit about just like where you are in your business, because we're entrepreneurs. I mean, we're all entrepreneurs yeah. and this is fun uh, for all of us, but I know that I don't know if you were a single product company, but I know SEO Catalyst was your, was your main gig for a long time, and it still is, and it's a super powerful tool. I think that there's like a massive value prop for anyone interested in SEO. Um, you told me a little bit about how you got into uh, the brand AI side. Uh, just because it's a very common problem that a lot of brands have is the cost of, you know, defending yourself and and that constant question of like, is this spend worthy? Would I get this conversion anyway or otherwise? Um, But tell me a little bit about the journey. Like just talk a little bit about the journey from like getting that product idea, building it, bringing it to market. Like what were the big successes that surprised you and the big challenges that you're dealing with now.
1: Yeah. So uh, I, I was an in-house uh, digital marketer for a number of years at a company called shop.com. Prior to being that digital marketer, I had an engineering background. I ran their, uh, their database teams. And so I, uh, I was a coder that was tasked with solving marketing problems. And um, I identified... I figured, so I built this uh, automated bid management system back in 2004 or 2005. Shop.com ultimately pursued a patent on it. It was one of the earlier uh, automated bid management systems, and I felt like there had to be something like that for SEO. I, I wanted to know, like, what change should my team be implementing on our website in order to maximize revenue? And because that's how you, how you think about it from a from an automated bid management system perspective. You think about what bids should we be placing on these different keywords to maximize, you know, our return or revenue or whatever our target is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I, had that insight back in about 2007 and, um, I didn't act upon it. Um, I got fired by shop.com when, uh, um, uh, new management came in, you know, they kind of cleaned out the whole the old house and, uh,
0: wow. They uh, fired you. That sounds like a mistake, but yeah, anyway,
1: Oh, it was great. You know, it's it's a cliche to say it, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So, um, so I went and did consulting and made a lot more money for a number of years uh, after 2007. And three years later, um, I realized that no one had built this, this tool that I was sure could be built, this revenue-maximizing SEO platform. And so, I called up some of my old uh, engineering buddies who uh, I'd worked with for years, and I said, hey, I've got a little project. You, you want to do it? If, if it turns into something, you know, if we make a company out of this, you know, we can share in sweat equity. We can basically build a company out of it. And so I funded that with uh, excess revenue from consulting because, you know, if you have, you can make a lot of money, you know, consulting as you well know. So um, uh, did that, used that money to fund engineers and ultimately formed the company uh, Revim around a revenue maximizing SEO platform, which then became called SEO Catalyst, which we still offer. Got a patent on that. And uh, we did a bunch of other products, uh, different kind of fun little tools to help uh, SEO folks be successful, pretty focused initially on the SEO side. And then um, we just knew that we could build um, this technology that could uh, manage cannibalized ads for you in an automated fashion. And so we started that about two years ago. Um, it's all, we got patents pending. I think one of them's granted now. Um, and, and other patents are still pending on the technology. But essentially, we, we figured out how to, how to do this. Um, and uh, the, the, the action of taking a, a, uh, an idea and then turning it into a prototype just to kind of prove it and then turning it into a product where now it has an interface that people can interact with. The prototypes are clunky. you know, They don't work well. But once you productize something, that's really cool. And then starting to market that, finding the – the, the market that's going to uh, fit with that product. And finally, you know, actually selling it and turning it into revenue is um, it's a, it's a journey, right? It, it, it takes quite a, quite a lot of time and effort. Um, there's a lot of stumbling along the way. Uh, you can fail at any one of those steps and it's all for naught. right? <laughs> you can have the best engineers in the world. They can build a fantastic product, but if they're not able to productize it so that people can use it and make it simple and easy, um, then you know, it's kind of done, right. It's not going to expand. It's not going to achieve its uh, its goals. Uh, even things like figuring out the um, the pricing model, you know, some model that uh, makes it like in the case of our, our our ad AI product that we've been talking about, that's where people typically say it's a no-brainer because we charge a percentage of savings. That's, right. a, that's the way we operate, right? And so, as a result of charging that percentage of savings, the, people can always trust that they can run the technology without any concern that they're ever going to you know, it's ever going to be a bad idea. And so finding each one of those little steps in the process, and then finally ending out with a, a you know, a product that um, is massively scalable, creates a lot of value for the target audience. That's super exciting. yeah. Um, and that's, that's where we're at now. We're just expanding. We're growing like a weed um, right now. And it's been a uh, joke. It'll be, will be an overnight success, you know, 10 years in the making or whatever, right. but uh, you know, so it's fun. Yeah.
0: So, would you say SEO Catalyst, like, was it, did it underwhelm your expectations? Like, did you ex- expect that to sell like hotcakes and it did never quite met your expectations?
1: Um, to some extent, yeah. Um, so, the tech works really, really well. Um, the challenge we found is that um, the, what, what essentially SEO Catalyst did is it solved an equation identifying exactly what tweaks to make to, each page of your website in order to maximize revenue across the entire set of keywords and your uh, content portfolio. That's what it does and including it delivers Including your
0: paid media data. So you're, you're spending you know, 100000 a month on this head term, mm-hmm. life insurance, yeah. whatever it is. And you have this page ranking like number nine or number three on the search results.
1: So we would it's predict how player. how much we could drive that rank up and we would then look, predict how many more clicks you could get. We would tie into the analytics back end so you know how much more, how many more transactions or conversions you're going to get, how much more revenue is that going to yield. And we could then issue a very simple, discrete, prioritized list of, of tasks each week that you just go bang, 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 hit 10 tasks. And now you suddenly your SEO is providing an extra 5K a month in revenue. Next week, bang, bang, bang. Here's the next 10. Now you're doing an extra 4K. And so we could you know, whatever that is at whatever scale that business operates. So it was pretty straightforward. Uh, works really well. On average, uh, customers that use it see about 24% growth in revenue in the first quarter. So it's great. The challenge we found was that uh, it required people to take a moment out of their day to to act upon the, uh, right. the insights of the, yeah. of the platform. And so, um, and we learned, hey, people have full-time jobs. You know, the people we're talking to They're already, they already got all 40 hours or 60 hours in some cases of their work week allocated, right? They're not sitting on their thumbs goofing around. And so, even though we had a tool that was um, able to drive not just reports, I was never really interested in the reporting side of things, but actions, you know, where they could see real benefit from it. um, It only made sense for some people to do that because they would be, you know, otherwise busy with other things. So, that limited the, uh, I would say, the, the, the growth of that Platform tech works great. It requires someone uh, to use it. Um, yeah. That's that's one of the reasons it, why this it
0: requires an action from the end user.
1: Absolutely right. And so and so we do have plenty of, of customers using it, um, but you know we need to find people that are you know that have that that resource. We ultimately ended up um, solving that problem by offering to do what we called implementation ourselves. Yeah. So uh so our team would come in here and say, hey, here are the 10 things that we recommend that you do this week, and we'll do them for you. Like grant us access to your CMS, we'll do just these adjustments. Um, and uh all we need you to do is now say, Yes, I bless that and we'll take care of it. And that yeah. solved some of that problem, allowed us to expand and scale further. Um
0: adding so. the professional service element, like, hey, by the way, pay a little extra, we'll do it for you.
1: That's right, and ultimately we we ended up throwing that in. Uh, we we basically would would offer that professional services element uh, at effectively no no additional fee or as part of our kind of normal um, engagement model. Just because we found that if we didn't do that, that people would kind of fall off the wagon. They would wouldn't, wouldn't uh, continue engaging uh, in the tech, you know. And that's I yeah. think the biggest problem with with tools like that. Like I know all sorts of people that are using great reporting platforms. There's you know probably three big enterprise. SEO reporting platforms out there. Yeah, you guys all know who they are. Bright Cloud or
0: <laughs> or no, it's not Bright Cloud.
1: Close, <laughs> but so they're all and they're they're great products out there. I, I respect them. I respect the teams that built them and those that use them. But um, the biggest problem those companies have, and I've talked to a lot of, I've talked to some of their founders and, and their CEOs and things like that, is that they got to get people to use them. So people end up not using the the tech. Uh, or at when it when it's you know years up the contracts up they think back and they say yeah did we really get that much value from that technology and yeah we we used it the first couple months but in the last ten months we've been doing something else and and so that's the challenge that uh, those types of of uh, success enablement tools have they can be great they can enable you to be successful but ultimately you have to take the action right they're just an enabler and yeah. so um, one of the cool things about from a business perspective about ad ai is it requires no action it just does everything for you it, it basically is in there you know it's a and and solves a, a key problem creates a new budget for you yeah. and you end up and like a rock star
0: that's really one of the things that i admire uh about ad ai is like customers tend to say it just works like it's just in the background and it literally takes nothing like no level of effort at all from from the client but i know that like you and we have like some massive customers. I've always admired the fact that like, you're not even interested that much in the professional services revenue. Like you know, you could theoretically spin up a little agency on the side. I mean, yeah. th- and easier said than done, right? Obviously it takes a lot of work and it's a journey in and of itself. But I've admired that you've like stayed true to the product and not really even entertained the idea of, of the professional service model.
1: It's, it's honestly it's just not. It's, yeah. It's, it's not interesting to me. Um, and I, you know, I've done, I've done professional services myself as a consultant. Um, I've run a small consultancy with other consultants, you know, and provide guidance to them and, and, uh, you know, help, help that process. And um, frankly, I found it stressful and uh, I have a great deal of admiration for folks like yourself, that, uh, that put all those pieces together and make those things run and deliver value day after day after day. Um, and there's a, a level of creativity and, uh, that you guys are bringing to the table, right? Um, because the, the challenge with running a, an ongoing professional services agency that i found is that everyone knows kind of what they can do well. And then you do those things. And then after a while, you've done those things. <laughs> and so like, what's, what's next. And so, um, yeah. You know, it's it's neat. I've, I've watched you since we've been partnered, you know, um, bring in new uh, capabilities, you know, as the space has evolved, whether it be social media or TikTok or other things like that. Um, and that's something that uh, I'm not frankly good at. So I stay away from what I'm, what I don't have fun at and what I'm not good at and try to stick with stuff that I have fun at and that I'm good at.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. And just to give a little bit of props to the team at Web Mechanics, That that is what we're doing. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy we're out here every day so we have 70 active clients right now on retainer and many more that we've worked with over the years or that come to us Mm -hmm. from project work and that's right they're expecting the execution they're expecting the next level strategy they're expecting the evolution so they have high expectations and it is it does take a lot to fulfill them but i think we're doing a damn good job at it
1: you You seem to be um I'll talk to some of your clients. They seem to be happy and they're growing. So,
0: and it's so funny because it's like, well, we started in a basement, basically two guys in a basement story, uh, and evolved. We never raised any money or really took any serious loans or debt out. So it evolved very much uh, organically and naturally. And we kind of have this culture where, like, we just are introducing new service offerings without this whole like formal process around it you know like account based marketing got hot in b2b probably 3 or 4 or 5 years ago and really account based marketing is just a fancy way to say hey coordinated sales and marketing activities but that was just something that we just picked up and just kind of started doing we kind of started selling it to a few clients and then we sort of started developing some subject matter expertise around it and started you know building out our processes but it is a very different ball game, and I think that I'm slightly envious of, of a model like yours, where like you can just sign up big clients and it takes almost no work to service, but also like slightly happy about the space that we're in, because in a, I feel like agencies are like the cockroaches of the business. Like, <laughs> you know Like if there's any business that's going to go out of business, like it's not ours. Like we'll figure yeah. out a way to add value regardless of that, not regardless of any of the environments, like our clients will need us and they'll look to us to help navigate them through.
1: I think as long as people need a scapegoat, someone they can fire whenever things go wrong, I think agencies <laughs> are around. So, uh, I, and I would joke when I was doing consulting, I would, I would tell my clients, say, hey, just so you know, um, I do all these things. And, and also, if things aren't working out, you know, feel free to push me off the bus. That's, that's, that's the role that, uh, yeah. that agencies and consultants sometimes play. So, um, and you know, just being honest, that's, that's, that's part of it. So, but, uh, yeah, it's, Probably. it's crazy. You, you do great. You do great work. Um, uh, so congratulations on your success.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, and a fun fact, today's my birthday. Did you know? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't mention Wow. That? Yeah.
1: You actually gave me your birthday. Wow. That's like a, a present. Now, see, now I got to give you something.
0: Well, uh, it wasn't just for you, but I'm a workaholic. I love uh, what I do. So that's, yeah. it's kind of fun for me. I do too. I do too. But uh, I have so many questions for you. I could sit, we could sit here and rap together for hours, I'm sure. Yeah. And I want to have you back on. But uh, I also want to understand just like the makings of Matt. Like, I want to change topics and just like zoom back out into. We already talked about your career chronology to a good mm-hmm. extent, but like, how did you become you? Like, how, like, just take us back to Matt the kid. And how just-
1: did I become me? Well, my mother and my father liked each other. No. Um, <laughs> So, so uh, I, think, I think what makes me tick is um, a, a brutal honesty with myself. Um, as, a, as a person, I, um, I don't have much patience for, um, I don't know, fakery, I guess, you know. And uh, there were times in my life when I was growing up that I found that I was fooling myself. And I'm not talking about other, you know, fooling other people. I'm talking about how we relate to ourselves, how we, you know, our self-identity uh, as a person. And, um, you know, I, and once, once I became really comfortable with myself, which probably took me a good long while, um, you know, through through the late teenage years and early, early twenties, uh, once I was really comfortable with myself, then i just found that this, that just unlocked all sorts of opportunities for me. Um, you know, as a kid, I was, uh, uh, raised by a, a single mother. Um, I never didn't actually meet my father until I was, uh, about, you know, 16 years old. And, um, you know, so I had experiences where I was not, I I oftentimes was in an environment where I did not have abundance. I came from an an environment where there was scarcity, you know, fairly frequently. And so, um, you know, that kind of taught me to think on my feet and, uh, keep my eyes open, figure out what's going to work and, uh, try to pursue that. Um, and then once I was kind of through those, those teenage years, which are hard for, I think most people, I'm envious of people that made it through their teenage years. Just like, yeah, it was great. I love being a teenager. Right. Um, and, and now as a parent, I have, uh, you know, teenage kids at, at, at home and I'm like, oh man, I'm sorry, you're going through this. <laughs> I promise you it gets better. But, uh, you know, anyway, for, for me, it was, it was tough. And then uh, once I kind of found myself and was comfortable, um, you know, I, I, the world is my oyster. That's how I, I see it. And it's, it's a wonderful world. And we're going to get as much out of it as possible. So, I don't want to miss anything. I want, I want to do everything.
0: That's, uh, that's my attitude. So, like, how were you in school or did you go to college? How did you, you wind up as a database architect? So, I, um,
1: I was not too bad at high school. I think I got a 3.8 GPA my first couple quarters. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I quickly found that it, it, high school was not of interest to me. And so I had horrible senioritis. I, I barely showed up my last year of high school. Uh, I think I got, ended up with like a 2.6 GPA or something like that. And um, uh, I ended up, my first job was answering phones uh, for software companies. Um, so, uh, you know, you'd get a, a piece of junk mail that said, you know, to upgrade your Norton antivirus, call this number, 1-800-blah-blah-blah. Blah, blah, and I'd be on the other end of that number. And, you know, you know, thank you for calling Norton. My name is Matt. How may I help you? Kind of a thing. And yeah. so that, that was my first job uh, as a, uh, you know, late teen, early tweens, early twenties, I guess. And um, what I found in doing that, that um, uh, I was good with computers. And so I bought myself uh, programming for dummies, literally that big yellow dummies series and then yeah. C++ for dummies. I said, I want to try out the, the, you know, the toughest best programming language out there. And there was a, there was C for dummies and C++. And so I, I basically taught myself, uh, how to, how to code. And I, my first paychecks from my answering phones, I used to buy a computer 4060 X4 100. And uh, I brought, bought myself Borland turbo C++ 3.5, uh, this, this this programming environment. And I just worked through it on my own. Um, and so uh, I did then, once I'd gone through that for a bit, I did go to a, a, a local community college. I signed up for a computer science course. I said, okay, whew, I think I, I can maybe, you know, hang with these guys because I, I had great respect for people that just made software appear out of thin air. I was like, wow, these guys, these engineers, they've got to be all brilliant and everything's great. So I went to that class and, and I learned, I was like, they're like, here's a, a number and here's a plus sign and here's another number. And you know, that means they're going to add them together. And I was like, what, this is so Simple. What? What? And I went to the teacher afterwards, and I said, "Hey, are we going to get into object-oriented programming?" And he said, "That's a four-year college thing. We're not going to do that for years." I'm like, "Oh crap!" And so then I just went and I uh, tried to get a job as a programmer, and uh, I initially failed, and then eventually I did. And uh, I was self-taught, and I just took. I was just frank, and I told people that hey, I'm, I'm self-taught, but I can do cool stuff. And so once I wow. got my first job doing that stuff and actually using. My self-taught skills. Then I never look back. So I do not have a degree. I, I uh, have basically skipped or bypassed uh, or failed, however you want to put it, the uh, the college process. But um,
0: interesting, yeah. So that's a good lesson to anybody earlier in their career or anybody career switching that like you can be self-taught. I'm totally self-taught as well. Yeah, but in, in today's world, just like owned up to it. You know, yeah, just said like, hey. I'm well, not and a that's what I'm talking a about is, comp is sci guy. Like, I just picked up a book and learned how to code.
1: Yeah. And, and that's what I mean about being just really honest with yourself, what you're good at, what you're bad at. And uh, I've learned to do self-assessment and I, I'm really bad at a lot of things. So I don't do them. Um, you know, and the things that I am good at, I do. Um, and I would say that in today's world, if you're a younger person watching this right now, you've got everything you need to build a career on YouTube. On YouTube, you know, on YouTube, I would have killed oh, Meaning the content on YouTube. I'm talk, talking about the content. Of course, there's, there's other, uh, you know, formal, uh, content providers, uh, you know, Udemy, the Udemy's of the world and others, uh, companies out there that provide educational content. But, um, I, I literally was in tears with frustration, trying to teach myself object oriented programming, wrapping my head around concepts that at the time I'd never, you know, engaged with. And, uh, you know, as a as a young young man trying to figure this out on my own with a with a with a yellow for dummies book, and I think now um, if you you know for people out there that are wanting to learn whatever whatever it is you want to learn, that there's so many resources, you got no excuse. Um, college, sure, go for it if that's your thing. Um, it wasn't my thing. I, I hate formal learning environments. I would love to have an apprenticeship. You know, where I could have one person that actually knows what they're doing and I can do what they tell me to do and I can learn. And then when I have a question, I can ask it. That would be
0: perfect for me, uh, whether it's computers or anything else. Yeah, I'm very skeptical of the higher education learning environment too. As a, And I did go to college and I graduated with a business degree from University of Maryland Smith School of Business, which looks great and sounds great on resumes. But I remember distinctly a moment after having graduated where I wanted to start a business. It was like right probably when the idea had hatched to start web mechanics. And I remember thinking, how exactly do I do it? Like I studied business for like three or four years and they never really teach you how do you set up an LLC? They don't teach you so much of the tactical. I learned all about the four P's of marketing. I learned all about business law and all about, you know, statistics like we t- had there was statistics courses and accounting courses and stuff but they failed to teach me the like, like the basic fundamental elements right. of like what do i do now
1: what do i do now yeah yeah I, I've, I've experienced similar things and you know as well so i i agree with you now i have one of my daughters is super academic she's you know straight a student planning to go to you know stanford or mit or Whatever she wherever she wants to go, all about STEM science technology engineering mathematics, and that's great. You know that fits her personality, but we we have different people on this planet, right? And uh, I was definitely not the personality for uh, you know formal classroom education. I would just be bored, you know. Yeah. So that was my experience. Thankfully, it's all worked out pretty well. So.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you definitely are very successful individual and extremely smart and extremely in in demand and extremely busy i know so we really appreciate your time here today thank you for uh lighting this up for us and for teaching us uh some things and sharing some of your secrets i think um for anyone spending significantly on google ads for brand i think revum is a no-brainer you can just check it out at revum.com Uh, and also check out SEO catalyst. I think it's, I think it's, uh, under undervalued in general as, as a tool from what I've seen.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, Chris.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's wrap up. I got a couple more questions for you. Okay. Top three books or top three learning resources. Top three books or learning resources, man. Other uh, than the C book for dummies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, I don't do much programming nowadays. So, uh, so it's funny. I, I learned those skills, I use them, and then I have moved on to uh, hire people that are much much better at those things than, than I am. So, um, I, you know, what for me, I like uh, reading with my family. That's actually uh, it's not a learning resource. Now you're looking for a learning resource, but what I find a lot of gives me a lot of pleasure and helps me to de-stress is that uh, I've got little kids at home. Uh, I've had swarm, swarms of kids in my family and uh, we read together. Uh, we've been reading uh, most recently um, the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. Mm. And so, it's uh, it's kind of an escapism, fantasy, things like that. Mm. Um, in, ter- in terms of, uh, of uh, reading books like about business or about technology, I really don't. I don't read books hardly. Uh, I, I'm a voracious reader, but not of books. Uh, what do I'm you constantly- read? I'm constantly online reading uh, different uh, resources, whether it could be from uh, formal news articles, um, but, but even like Reddit or Quora, uh, to resources, I find that there's oftentimes cutting edge insights from people that are sharing them on social media before they go through the now, in my opinion, ponderous process of being put into book form and edited and published and all the rest of that. Uh, even self-publishing takes quite a while, you know, to to get uh, something packaged into book format, and the insights that that offers, um, I think, are available, you know, without needing all that packaging. Twitter, you know, we we can learn all sorts of things. So what I find is, um, I'll hear of a concept, and uh, maybe my wife will drop me an article or something like that that she knows I'll be I'll be interested in, and I'll read that, and I'll just go down the rabbit hole, and. Uh, Uh, You know, half an hour or three hours later or however long it is, I come out of that and I'm a, you know, I'm pretty versed in whatever that subject is now. And so, um, so, so I don't find myself uh, reading too often, unless I'm stuck on a plane,
0: I'll I'll read on planes. So are there any like Reddit, uh, do they call them threads or,
1: no, they call them? Subreddits. Subreddits.
0: Any subreddits or any Twitter Twitterers that you follow avidly, or you just basically find the concept and then.
1: I, I start, start with the concept. It. Yeah, there's not any authors, there's not any uh, channels per se, uh, but there, but but whatever concept I'll I'll find, I'll hear about, and then I'll just dig into. Yeah, and uh, and I'll come out of it pretty well-versed. I've, I've, I've learned to, to have a, a pretty effective um, short-term memory, at least where I can read something and understand it. And then I'll, I'll forget the details, the numbers and the names and things like that, but I'll, I'll be able to remember the concept and then those concepts I can apply. Once I am applying something that I've learned, then it sticks with me forever,
0: more or less. Cool. Yeah. I'm kind of similar, actually. I have certain definitely go-to books, but, but in large part, I like get stumped by a problem and then go Googling it.
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. You talk about go-to books. Like I have read and I'm a fan of Sun Tzu's The Art of War and uh, Machiavelli's The Prince. So some of the, maybe the, the classics Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. that uh, they have some kind of ways of viewing problems and how to address those problems that I think are interesting and are applicable uh, in multiple ways. So,
0: um, yeah. Have you I'm, checked out 48 Laws of Power? No, I've not. Oh you should check it out. All right. I forget the uh, but it's very much like Sun Tzu Art of War. It's as if the author his name is escaping me. Robert something. But it's very much like he's read all those and compiled them up into like 48 laws with stories and stuff. You would like it. That's cool.
1: Yeah. I like identifying principles. If you if you know what I mean, like a, like a principle upon which you can then make a specific decision based on, you know, that principle for this instance. So once once you identify principles that are effective or laws, laws of power, whatever you want to call them, then you can reuse those and uh, and find out how to apply them in different areas.
0: Nice. So one other question from the grab bag. If you were to start a side hustle, in addition to your current company, which I know you've got your hands full, what would it be? So
1: my current crazy idea, Uh, And I always, I always have like two or three of these in the background uh, that I would probably, you know, who needs to be a serial entrepreneur? You can be a parallel entrepreneur, right? Um, But my current uh, crazy idea is, um, so so as a programmer, people in the beginning would write code to make something print out, right? And then what happened is programmers built libraries. This is code that was already written and tested and perfect that others could use, and so basically what programmers do is they build building blocks that other programmers can then build with and allows them to go very, very quickly to make new new, cool things, right? I think the same thing should be done with legal texts. I don't know about you, but I read an MNDA like once every day or two. It seems like I'm constantly having new deals that are coming in, uh, service agreements, uh, all sorts of, you know, referral partners, all, all these kind of things. And, I'm, and I have to read these or I have to pass them on to a lawyer and very, very often they say almost the same exact thing. There's really only a handful of variables, of things that are different about these agreements. And so, what I would love to do is I would love to create essentially an authoritative library of legal clauses, maybe not even entire documents, but clauses that someone that could, could basically just say, this is the standard, you know, NDA clause and the variable is how long is the term, you know, three years, Right mm-hmm. or whatever that whatever that time period is, um, and so that so that people could uh, have access to uh, to legal documents that business people like you and I need in order to structure relationships um, without having to read. The same thing over and over and over again with yeah. slightly different wording and slightly so different. It's like,
0: so it's like pseudo coding legal docs,
1: effectively. Yeah, like just to, it's really creating a standard. I'm actually surprised in uh, you know company like maybe Legal Zoom or something. I was like just that. thinking about
0: Legal Zoom. Yeah, because you could know, theoretically build your own M N D A that way, right?
1: Yeah, and and so uh, and the idea being that uh, you would start off with uh, you know these kind of standard templates, if you will, that get plugged in there, but. I would love it if someone were to send me an MNDA and I could, and it could be labeled at top, you know, standard template B, you know, or whatever it is. I go, Oh, I signed three of those last week sign, you know, and I don't even have to read the thing. I don't have to involve a lawyer and pay him, you know, 400 bucks an hour or whatever it is, you know, or or use my own time or even worse, you know, skimp and uh, you know, put myself at risk because there's some, you know, nuance in there that I didn't read. So, but, but if, if I could have a, 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 you know, something that's delivered to me that says this is standard template B and I could literally click and see that, yep, that's the standard template that I've, I've been using or whatever. Um, that would be a huge time and money saver for me as a business person. True. So that's, that's, uh, one thought. So basically applying the concept of programming libraries. And that's, that's my perspective. That's my background, where I'm coming from and applying that to legal, I'd love to build legal libraries, clause libraries that could just be plugged in. So you don't have to read the things, you know, at least you read it once. And then the next time that, you know, you get a a contract that comes in and just references that and you're like, oh yeah, I've already read that.
0: That's Uh, a brilliant idea. But the, all the lawyers in the country would (laughs) object probably.
1: Well, you know, it's funny so because kind of the
0: game, right?
1: it, it is. And there's probably some uh, that maybe there's even a reason why someone hasn't done this. You know, I have lots of ideas. Some of them are bad. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them are bad for reasons I don't yet know. But uh, you asked me like, what, what have I been thinking about? That That's the one that's probably in the last week or two I've been thinking about. Hmm, I wonder if I could talk to some lawyers and find out why this hasn't happened. You know, yeah. is it is it purely I can't believe it's job security because there are individual lawyers who would, you know, if they could be part of a really successful business that made that and delivered that. And if there was a a business model that allowed a company to offer that and to thrive would certainly be willing to be part of it. So uh, that's a good idea.
0: Yeah. Cool, man. Well, I know that we're out of time here. I want to be sensitive to your time, but thank you so much. This was amazing. Um, let everybody know if they're interested in learning more about you or about Revum, about ad AI, about SEO catalyst, where can they go? How can they learn more?
1: Uh, revum.com. R E V V I M.
0: That's a place where uh, we live. So beautiful. All right. Well, Hey, thanks so much. I want to have you back on the pod at some point, uh, whenever your time permits, because I want to hear more of your secrets. Awesome.
1: And I do have a few more.
0: So I know you do. <laughs> thanks I a lot, Chris. It. This is fun. All right. Thank you, Matt. Right, we'll talk take soon. Take care. Bye. Right, bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and Nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to Performance Marketing Insiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days.